0: we need to to think about what music can offer us i think it can really recontextualize our space um and change our space and make us refocus on on things and it can it can change perceptions and i don't, I don't mean that in a, in a way that you know maybe timothy leary might have spoken about changing perceptions but i think it can sharpen perceptions i think it, it's an art form that's you know the most malleable art form around and um you know you can take it wherever you want to and you can use it any way you want to and i think that um that goes for creation as well as the consumption of it so i, I think that um that even though people of 80 percent of people have not listened to a track in full they've they've gotten something out of it they've they've taken something from it hopefully i mean they may not have to listen to the whole 60 minutes of matthew david's piece but I mean, I sometimes find that, you know, I don't even notice that the hour's gone because of the way he's constructed that piece. So, you know, some people might have listened to it for only 20 minutes and, and and they've they've gotten on with something else and that's fine, you know. I think that I think this is about reclaiming time, and if they've only reclaimed that 20 minutes, then then great, you know. Like it's 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 a start, I think, because I think that um, without wanting to be prescriptive about it, I think i think we're all just getting overwhelmed and busy and we're assaulted with with things i think that's a general thing i don't think it's a revolutionary thing or a revelatory thing it's been going on for quite a while and and i think that you know i don't think that on magicians is going to change the world but it's just a space that you can hopefully turn to um, just to just to you know readdress things a little bit
1: Be on the record saying anything. About What's that sound? Hey, wanna hear the most annoying sound in the world? with the sound of the proposition sounds
0: intriguing. Proposition sounds very attractive.
1: the proposition.
0: I tell you it's a thoroughly sound proposition. Yeah. Seems a sound proposition for the here. Andrew Kaduri, and I'm currently curating a deep listening series called Long Form Edition. Editions is a lot more of a specific series and not really a label as such, you know. In a way that preservation was, uh, longform editions is a digital-only music series where we're asking artists to contribute to the idea of re-entering deep listening into into our um, into our sphere, if you like, because. I think it's something that we've um, lost touch with. We've lost the ability to give ourselves some, some room, some space, some focus, and uh, we're trying to reclaim that space um, with music. So we ask artists to contribute an extended piece of listening with those ideals in mind. So the pieces are generally going to be quite meditative. So, they might play into ambience in some way, maybe new age, um, some kind of sound art. And we're releasing four pieces from artists from all over the world every two months at the moment. And we have also accompanying media, such as uh, video, that accompanies each piece. So, uh, last year we launched in June 2018, and we've got 16 pieces currently. And uh, um, at this point in time, uh, mid-February, we'll have our fifth edition out, which will bring us up to 20 pieces. And we've um, previously had the likes of Cruel Diagonals, Matthew David's Mind Flight. We've also had Richard Young's uh, Upgraded Smurfy, Sarah Selka, which is the new project for Chuck Johnson and Mario V. Jacobson's. And we've had and Phil from Turkey, Steamvent from Sydney, Cham from Japan, a whole host of different artists who basically are tied together with that ideal of, of deep listening. of the project is not necessarily to rub up against streaming services I mean it's a project that anyone can stream if they like but Spotify isn't a place that you can go to to discover music like this you can't have it as a, a reliable source if you like because that's not what they're in the business of so There are so many different experimental labels and experimental artists making music these days, and and they all have the means, and it's great to be able to have their music found, if you like, but there's quite a lot to be found. So with this curatorial aspect that we're attaching to long-form editions, we want to also be able to provide a reliable source for for deep listening and that kind of music that deep listening is generally associated with. inspirations for long-form editions have come mainly from my own listening as well as my own understanding of how my listening has changed. I work at a radio station and every day I'm inundated with new music that I need to to check out and potentially find a place for on the radio station. And I, I think that that kind of listening is... It's a very short, sharp operation. And I think that it reflects a kind of short, sharp operation that a lot of people attach to their listening in today's digital age when they can skip tracks and they can just move around as much as they like, which they think is a, a freeing thing, a liberating thing. But I wonder how much people are absorbing when they do listen. So I came to think of, of my own listening in this way and after work i tended to find that uh, the pieces that i would listen to were longer pieces pieces that would make me a little bit more transfixed and that would hold me in a certain zone for a longer period of time and i started thinking about this kind of music and why i was gravitating towards it and i felt that there was room in our digital era of listening for a project that reflected this kind of listening uh i've said once before in one interview where an artist has submitted a piece of work to me and said i hope that when you listen to this it's like having a long hot soak in the bath and i think that's a really nice way of of putting this series i mean you can you can take out of it anything that you want to. You don't have to sit still and not say a word for for an hour or so. If you want it, just having a, a piece of, you know, your day in the background or soundtrack, some task that you're attending to or something like that, that's fine. But um, but it is a different kind of listening to. The kind of listening i think a lot of people are engaging and even if they are interested in this kind of music you know exploratory electronic experimental i think people think that they may be discovering more music on, on streaming services like spotify but i think that that they're actually kind of narrowing the the scope uh more and more every day because of the way that they run their business and what their business model represents and that's fine that's that's a business model that you know by rights should and can exist in our sphere but i think that there's room for for something else um, be it small i think it's quite valuable The underground tape culture has also been quite influential on me and that kind of exchange, a lot of those tape labels were run by the artists themselves and they were using that as an opportunity and a, a, a really um, inexpensive and efficient way to to have uh, a, an exchange um, with other artists. Like, they would record for each other's labels and they'd explore and they were able to be quite prolific and, with long form editions, we wanted to kind of take that ideal into a digital realm because um, we think that there's more opportunity in the digital space for this music to be heard. And if it's digital only, it allows us to be quite nimble. So we're able, as you say, to release as many pieces as we have so far. And it's been quite easy and efficient to be able to do that. And it allows us to be really nimble. We're not locked into production cycles if we even tried to do any of these releases on vinyl we'd be waiting months and months and months to do that and it would actually also cost us a small fortune to do so and the impact I'm not sure would be as great because we'd have to work it in a very very different way to the way that we can work the long form editions project The cover art is done by Mark Gowing, who has worked on most of the releases, say 95% of the releases, and all the art direction for preservation. He's basically been my cohort in everything musical that I've been involved with release-wise over a very, very long period of time, and we sit down and work stuff out together, and we really kind of nutted out the long-form editions concept. He's the first guy I go to when I have for something and when I was formulating this idea you know I, I, I have a little shyness when I have an idea and i sort of I'm not really sure whether it's crazy or not and then speak to Mark about it and, and we kind of uh, somehow find a way to make something like this materialise and the cover art and the design and the aesthetic is very important when we go out and do that so it's actually quite similar to the circus series that you've mentioned it's basically templated artwork so that everybody has the same kind of aesthetic around um, their art. And so one doesn't stick out from the other, but it's also very identifiable and you know what it is when you see it. And it's essentially typography. So what Mark does is create various uh, alphabets um, using typographical language. And for 2018, you can see it's a a kind of a geometric abstraction of, of shapes and This year, we've actually got um, a whole different set of artwork that we're gonna use for the the next six months at least, which is, uh, it's it's got a name, it's actually called Diddar and it's um, a a type of typography and language, if you like, that Mark has created out of um, an inspiration from Morse code. So we're gonna be unveiling that next week. Um, It's just really fun for us to do, and we're gonna have video accompaniment using um, that uh, Dittar language as well. And um, it's just something that that we find works really well for us because um, we kind of also need to to, um, have certain things flow really smoothly in the production of what we do. We both work full time, and um, so if we're able to create a very identifiable aesthetic that people really enjoy as well, we think that um, if it's easy for us to work, I mean, we can produce those artworks now that we have that typography, now that we have that set, we can produce those artworks in in a matter of minutes. So um, we we find that it's really easy and efficient for us for to run, and and everybody knows, everyone everyone that's involved in the project knows exactly what it is, and and so so they're they're on board with it because they they see it and they know what they're getting so there's no real conjecture like oh why did he get a really lovely painting and my artwork is just like a a dot or something like that so it it, it's it, it works really well from that level as well everybody knows what they're getting and there's there's no issue that way every every piece of artwork essentially spells out the artist the title um that's why it takes us a matter of minutes to to create the artwork so um it's it's an alphabet it's basically an alphabet so the artwork is essentially determined by the artist um it's very very easy to generate but it creates quite an impact and um yeah i mean that kind of aesthetic is is really Uh, I think important for a label to maintain. There's been many labels that along the way, ECM touch that have their particular aesthetic that have been really inspirational to us. And we tried a whole bunch of different things. Like we knew that in the digital realm um, in the way covers a scene digitally, if you like, that photography wouldn't work because the detail of a really great photograph wouldn't really show up digitally very well. So typography was, Was the way for us to go because we've used uh, a lot of photography and you know we've 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 worked with that um in preservation for a long time but typography seemed to be the way to go for this it's it's very recognizable in the digital realm I just sent a lot of emails to people whose work I admired, and especially people whose work I admired but previously didn't have any opportunity to work with them for various reasons due to, say, their schedules or the fact that they were with a particular label and they'd committed their major works to that label, and that was completely understandable. But this is a simple one-off piece that contributes to a series and doesn't tie them down and commit them and, um, you know, force them to tour, if you like, for six months of their year, it's 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 about, you know, creating a, a space. So it's about um, offering a contribution to an ideal, and that's why we're not really looking at long-form editions as a label. So we're looking at it as, as a series that um, we think volume will create a point and be a hub for this kind of activity and there's a lot of artists that responded really well to it um people that I'd never spoken to before and you know people whose music that I've loved over a long period of time and then there have been submissions as well so since the um since about the third edition I started to get a lot of submissions so I've been very much overwhelmed by a lot of people who would like to take part and um, so we're just we're just working through those Um, we've, we've committed a certain amount of releases for quite a good deal of the year so submissions are a little bit difficult but it's always really great to hear new music and to to know who's around and that really contributes to the to the power of the series as well to know who's out there making music A real favourite project of mine and working with Alex has been always such an amazing pleasure and becoming friends with Alex and spending time with him um, fortunately he was able to come out with Sun Aurora to Australia and he stayed for a a slightly longer period than most touring bands do and then I went to Los Angeles and spent some time with Alex and that was just before his last the magic record came out reflections of most forgotten love which i think is just a an underrated beauty as well yeah, and, um, you know, we went, we drove to Big Sur and spent some time there and, you know, I got to know Alex, which is something that when you're working all the way from Australia, you don't often get to know your artists as, as well as I have with Alex. Um, but Alex moved to Mexico, and, um, he, he, he's married to Jessica Smurphy and um, that's how um, I, I made the connection with Jessica and her music I just find just incredibly thrilling and and smart and deep. And um, she was one of the first people I asked to be a part of the project.
1: The next edition that
0: comes out next week will feature uh, a Japanese artist who uh, I loved. Uh, this just one piece that he released, he released a, a one-sided piece of vinyl, 17-minute piece called Climatherapy last year called, his name is uh, Nozomu Matsumoto, and um, he's sort of similar to, say, Holly Herndon in the, in the way that he he mixes various sounds and, and um, mixed media if you like into his work for some kind of societal commentary if you like and the, the piece of music was was curious and beautiful and um really mixing that kind of um orchestral kind of emotive resonance with um what you might call machine intelligence and um i asked him if he'd like to contribute a piece last year and he's contributed a piece that is going to be, I think, no matter how long this series actually runs for, will be the outlier of the series. It's a piece that mixes hip-hop, orchestral, ambient, heavy metal, and uh, also has these uh, rap passages throughout that he's taken from um, one of those websites where you can grab a a passage for free. Uh, And comment on, on our... Uh, ability to to think and speak, and it's a very curious piece of music. But it's not in the typical deep listening realm. But you do have to concentrate to kind of get any sensibility from it whatsoever. It's a it's a it's an incredibly thrilling and strange piece of music, closer to girl talk than say anything like ambient music, if that makes any sense. So we've got that record, and we've also got Nicola Rati uh, from Italy. Who's presented a really beautiful, slowly uncurling piece of music called K1 K2? Um, we also have Matches from Chicago. It's Whitney Johnson who's had this solo project going for quite a number of years now, but she also plays violin in Circuit des You in her touring group from time to time. And she makes a, a, a really interesting, warm, sort of spiritually leaning sound that's really interested in in the occult. So it has a really weird spooky kind of sound and and she's um, made a 37 minute piece called Fundamental 256 HZ and the final piece is from an Australian artist called Felicity Mangan who is a sound artist working predominantly with field recordings and often with animals and she's contributed a really wonderful piece called Stereophrogic, which um, takes a, a whole series of frog noises and has made a a kind of a quadraphonic piece out of the, the sounds and it's kind of like a really interesting bubbling ambient new age piece of music largely built around these 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 frog sounds and um, it's it's a really interesting way to recontextualize nature in the, in the way that she has and and I think that a lot of these pieces actually really are inspired by nature. Eckenfield's Windblow from our December edition is one really great example, or um, uh, the sound of uh, the Glasgow morning from Richard Young's, the very first piece that we released from him, which is called Daybreak, um, was really inspired by sounds around him. And, and this is just kind of one of the more ultimate pieces in that respect, really reflecting nature in in a listening context and and how we think about nature I think is uh, what Felicity Mangans uh, achieved on that piece. You know, I looked at the Bandcamp stats. Um, I think of the, you know, tens of thousands of listens that we've had through Bandcamp, I think that it's about 20% of them that have only listened in full. And I think that that's, you know, quite telling in a way of, of the era that we live in, but the music exists to be listened in full, but people... Um, uh, uh, at least going as far as to sort of explore and absorb as much as they want to. We need to to think about what music can offer us. I think it can really recontextualise our space um, and change our space and make us refocus on on things. And it can it can change perceptions. And I don't mean that in a, in a way that you know maybe Timothy Leary might have spoken about changing perceptions but I think it can sharpen perceptions. I think it's an art form that's, you know, the most malleable art form around and, um, you know, you can take it wherever you want to and you can use it any way you want to. And I think that um, that goes for creation as well as the consumption of it. So I I think that um, that, even though people of eighty percent of people have not listened to a track in full, they've they've gotten something out of it. They've they've taken something from it, hopefully. I mean, they may not have to listen to the whole sixty minutes of Matthew David's piece, but I mean I sometimes find that, you know, I don't even notice that the hour's gone because of the way he's constructed that piece. So, you know, some people might have listened to it for only twenty minutes and and then they've they've gotten on with something else and that's fine, you know. I think that I think this is about reclaiming time, and if they've only reclaimed that 20 minutes, then then great, you know, like it's 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 a start. I think because I think that um, without wanting to be prescriptive about it, I think I think we're all just getting overwhelmed and busy, and we're assaulted with with things. I think that's a general thing. I don't think it's a revolutionary thing or a revelatory thing. It's been going on for quite a while, and and I think that you know I don't think that well, tradition is going to change the world, but it's just a space that you can hopefully turn to um, just to just to you know readdress things a little bit I've been responsible for putting on live shows, you know, varying ways opportunity presented itself. You know, for example, um, by sheer, like, coincidence and and luck, um, I found out Grupa was coming to New Zealand 10 years ago um, this year. And, um, you know, I found out that she wasn't coming to Australia. So I organised for her to come here. And that was just happenstance you know so i've I've put on shows in the past um and obviously shows associated with preservation artists as well uh interestingly i haven't really thought of any shows for long-form editions but um there is, for example, a, a club night that I know is starting up in the UK, like dedicated to, to ambient and experimental and deep listening sounds. There's a guy called Richard Norris who started a new label called Group Mind. And I've been chatting with him, and, and he's starting up a, this night with um, a, a, a pretty well known writer and DJ called Joe Muggs from out of the UK. And, um, and I, I think that sounds really cool um i don't know what it'd be like in sydney to put on a a long form edition style night um there used to be very regular kind of sunday night more relaxed sort of club style environments going on in sydney but at the moment sydney's a very difficult place to to find a home for any kind of live music so it's not really on the on the sort of on the calendar for us but Um, You know, if the opportunity presents itself just in the way, say, the group show did way back when, you know, I'd totally do it. Like, I'd I'd totally be up for it. Even if it was just a night where, you know, um, people played extended pieces of music, either live or it was more of a DJ-style situation, I think it'd be pretty cool. But uh, we haven't gotten that far yet. We still think the series in itself is quite germinal. And we don't know how long, We'll go with it. We will see what the response is like as it continues to build and what the artist response is like and whether at one point we just won't have any pieces to release. But, yeah, we haven't gotten that far, I think. I mean, you know, there was a really interesting example as part of the Sydney Festival. um, There was a really great concert called Masters of Modern Sound at the Art Gallery of New South Wales here, which felt like a really new experience for Sydney where several levels of the art gallery were opened up to experimental musicians and two of them um, actually just happened to be on long-form editions. Katarina Barbieri came out for that concert and um, Del LaManta, who... uh, they work a steam vent and contributed to long form editions back in December. And those two artists along with William Basinski and Lawrence English did um, performances in the art gallery or across several levels. And it was, it was really great. It was, it was such an amazing thing to see. And, and, you know, it, it felt very much akin to to the kind of experience that we're looking for from long form editions. So hey, there, there may be opportunities in the future to to do that with live music and to have that kind of experience. It was like, you know, walking around the Tate in London. And, you know, Sydney Sydney hasn't been that adventurous for a while, so it was a really special experience. And, and I'm glad that, you know, I didn't have to see it in a, in a sort of a sweaty, dark club where there was only, like, you could sort of ram in 100 people or something like that. It was, it was really great and it was really well responded to. The way cities are mapped out and, and the laws governing performance and and um, where artists can congregate to do that sort of thing is so important and Sydney has now become so disparate in where artists can basically afford to live they that like getting together and natural spaces hubs of activities in certain parts of town are just very very difficult to materialize now it just it just doesn't work anymore like it did say even 10 12 years ago we're under a a very serious sort of uh, nanny state style scenario where lockout laws have prevented live performances from, from taking place many venues have had to have closed down because they can't operate in the wee hours of the night and so forth and we're really in dire straits here when it comes to to creativity and and even any kind of um sort of more underground even potentially illegal activity in warehouse spaces like if it's not being cracked down upon it's just like it's hard it's it's like you were saying like you know driving to Winnipeg it's not that bad but it's it's more of a production number where you you know 10 or so years ago people just lived all in you know two suburbs and a lot of activities happen in those suburbs, and now people are just living too far out, or they have to move out because they can't afford it. Because Sydney's too expensive, so it's a it's a real geographical issue um, and a cultural issue as much as anything relating to the urbanity of the cities. And, and it's hard for culture to grow that way. I mean, anybody that puts on those events, like those kinds of events that I used to go to, like they were just they were just packed and they were exciting, and people were into it, and people were were listening to different things and getting excited. I mean, you know, it might have had a sort of a, a cool vibe attached to it, but then those, those audiences grew as their understanding of that kind of music grew. And now it's just a bit more of a diehard scenario. It's not really a growing culture because it's just harder to maintain and sustain. Live events are kind of, I mean, yeah, it's a whole other different sort of kettle of fish, really. I mean, look, the, the great thing about long-form editions is is how easy it is seemingly to maintain. I mean, These opportunities to to expose it, such as this podcast, which is great, they're, they're coming up. But the other thing is that if they don't, we'll be okay.
1: So, um... Uh,
0: you know, it allows us to, to do something and create and express, but like, it's not like we're freaking a, you know, a thousand copies on vinyl and we really need to sell them. So the pressure is on and, and so forth. It's a very different ball game. been a really nice thing to do it's like i mean one of my things about long form is that with any project like it's just got to be a pleasure to do and it's been generally a real pleasure to do it and once we worked out how we thought it could operate you know it's been really streamlined for us to do and um mainly working just working solely with the artists you know like it, it cuts out a lot of people like, you know, producers and you know, I mean producers say manufacturers for product and stuff like that, like where you're always battling things and debating the colour of ink and things like that. So it's been a, a real pleasure, um, just working with artists who just believe in that ideal and they're either in or they're out. It's it's a very straightforward thing. There's there's really no negotiation. They just might have a question or two but they're pretty, they're pretty trivial and, and um, they don't really impact on what happens at the end of the day.